live from South Florida. The Brian Mudd Show starts right now. Now, now. News Radio 610 WIOD. We're in the middle of the Delta surge, especially here in the northern half of the United States. It's cold. Infection numbers are still rising. Uh, I expect that to peak and start dropping off in January. That's what happened last year. What will happen with Omicron is still the big question. I do expect a, a lot of infections from Omicron once we get to January, February. But I'm hoping it won't be terrible because if people are vaccinated, they're boosted. We're going to weather this. I mean, you can't have one of these conversations. You realize it. You can't just have a conversation about the variant and what will be without. And, and you've got to get you got to get vaccinated. You got to get boosted. I mean, that that's always the answer, right? I mean, there's never any other conversation. It cannot be anything other than but those two things. And, you know, a couple of things about Omicron, as it has now been diagnosed in Florida. First case at, at Tampa, man. Like all former cases, I'd like to repeat. Like all former diagnosed cases, mild symptoms, mild symptoms. And again, we know how this pandemic ends. We do. The pandemic ends when you have a less severe strain of a virus that takes out the dominant ones. And then it just becomes another bug, another seasonal flu bug. That's how these things happen. It's how this stuff ends, right? And so there remains the chance and again, now we have over three weeks worth of data. There are a couple things that are important in this conversation, too, just quickly. Yes, it's only been named for about two weeks at this point, but a little more than. But we um, we actually have had data on this now for over three weeks. The first people were diagnosed with what eventually was named Omicron, South Africa, over three weeks ago now. So we know what happened with them, including all the unvaccinated. Zero hospitalizations. The initial round of people, South Africa, zero, not one person hospitalized. And every time you, you, you go around, you hear minimal symptoms. So just be mindful of all this. There is a chance that this, in, this is the beginning of the end of this pandemic right here. And we'll continue to follow the facts rather than the hysteria as we always do around here. All right. Now, uh, this was interesting, something that caught my attention. Uh, the National Association for Gun Rights. Involved in a recent get-together with the governor over the weekend and uh, came out of that get-together with a pledge from the governor on the so-called constitutional carry provision should it be passed by the Florida State Legislature. So here to talk about this, we got Brendan Boudreaux, the Field Operations National Association Director for Gun Rights. And uh, so, Brandon, tell us about this get-together with our governor. What, how'd that go down? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate you having me on the show. So uh, our, our legislative director there in Florida had the opportunity to uh, to attend this event this weekend uh, that the governor was at. And uh, uh, Matt Collins, our ledge director down there, had the opportunity to uh, to ask the governor uh, where he stands on constitutional carry. Uh, it's been a question, open question for us for uh, for quite some time. Uh, and, and frankly, we're not surprised by the governor's response that he supports this common sense pro-gun legislation. So for folks who aren't familiar with what, and, and independent of what may or may not come out of the Florida legislature, what constitutional carry is from your association's perspective, what does that mean? 
Yeah, sure. Constitution, constitutional carry simply says if you have the legal right to possess a handgun, you should be able to openly carry it or concealed carry it without having to first get a permit. There's currently 21 states that, that recognize this as the law of the land, uh, five passing of this year, uh, including including Texas, which is, of course, the second most populous state in the nation. So this, this, is, a, this is a mainstream issue for gun owners. They, this has become the new shell issue fight of this day uh, for, for gun owners and, and the restoration of our gun rights. So, Brendan, the last I saw, approximately 40 to 42 percent of households have someone who owns at least one gun. So you do have a large swath of, of this country, Florida in particular. We lead the country in concealed carry uh, permits. So you, you got that piece um, that's that's already native to, to Florida. That being said, it's not that non-gun owners obviously are, are necessarily dead set against gun ownership, but we do know that many are, right down to the people who see a gun and get very scared. So what do you have to say to the people who freak out at the very thought of seeing a gun out in public? Sure. Well, that, you know, it's what, what, what's interesting about as these states are passing constitutional carry laws, we're, we're seeing more folks exercise and practice their right to keep and bear arms. And the states that have passed constitutional carry laws are some of the safest states in the nation. We aren't seeing uh, large increases of crime. In fact, quite the opposite. You know, some of the safest states in the country are constitutional carry states. So, you know, instead of, you know, being freaked out about uh, an inanimate object uh, that is that is a tool uh, that uh, we, we need to focus on the basic fundamental right here. This is a right that is protected by our Constitution. The government should not be regulating it. And it's a right that benefits everyone. I mean, we've seen over the last couple of years here as police response time is going down because of, you know, law enforcement officers losing their jobs because of defunding the police or because of vaccine mandates. People have to become their own self-defense. I mean, we're seeing commentary out of out of residents of cities like San Francisco, where where they're starting to recognize the benefit of of, of self uh, being being able to defend themselves of, of gun ownership. So, you know, it's it's we we encourage people to get the training, to get familiarized with firearms, and become comfortable with being your own self-defense. But the government should not be mandating training. The government should not be forcing people to get a permission slip from a bureaucrat in order to practice their rights. Brendan, how concerned are you about people who are intentionally provocative given the opportunity? In other words, they take advantage of the situation and and do truly intend to intimidate others by virtue of carrying. I mean... You know, I'm I'm not overly concerned with it. I mean, you are always going to have bad actors in any community. Uh, but but all because of the bad act- actors in, in one instance should not uh, denigrate the rights of, of everyone else. I mean, this is this is always our concern after any kind of criminal act, you know, school shooting or something like that. Uh, politicians always want to come out and blame the guns and, and restrict the rights of law-abiding citizens. Well, you and I both know that criminals do not abide by the laws on the books. That, that's by definition. They are criminals. Yes. They don't follow laws. <laughs> These are facts, yes. <laughs> it's a very good point. Well, Brendan, yeah. I, I appreciate uh, you taking the time to kind of explain what happened, and uh, we will watch what happens in this upcoming state legislature. Yeah, thanks so much, Brian. Appreciate your time. All right, thank you. All right, that is Brendan Boudreaux, the uh, Director of Field Operations for the National Association for Gun Rights.
I know that if this ends up advancing this day's session, it will be extraordinarily controversial here in South Florida specifically. We'll follow this story. All right, now, it's just coming up Saturday. Where's the time go, right? So, uh, President Trump, 45, he's going to get together with Bill O'Reilly and you, and you. This Saturday, 3 o'clock, the FLA Live Arena in Sunrise. And if you would like to be there on us, we've got you covered. Pair tickets right now to the History Tour with President Donald Trump and Bill O'Reilly this Saturday. Just be the sixth caller at 866-610-6397, 866-610-6397, and those tickets are yours. All right, so about the virus, and do a quick reality check here on where we stand. So a couple things about this. You know, First, you, you take a look at what's happened over the past 10 days. The news has not been as good in Florida. For a while, even as we began to see cases for COVID-19 tick up in other states, certainly other countries, it wasn't happening here. But now for 10 consecutive days, it has. So we are seeing a trend coming out of Thanksgiving weekend, which also coincided with the start of Hanukkah this year, a rise in COVID-19 cases. That's the first piece. Then you take a look at, okay, well, where do we head from, from here heading into you know, Christmas, year-end, the traditional peak of flu season, which ends up hitting by the time we get around January, February. Well, the Mayo Clinic, they put out a 14-day projection at any given time. And I've been taking a look at this weekly during the pandemic because they have been exceedingly accurate. Exceedingly. There's never been a time where their guidance hasn't held during the course of this pandemic since they came out with this tool. And what I was taking a look at with it, uh, using Florida's new daily cases and their projection for the rate of increase over the next two weeks, able to kind of figure out what the view of the possible is. So they put out a worst-case scenario, a best-case scenario, and an average outcome. And Florida, we've been pacing about 1,850 new daily cases over the past week. Under the worst-case scenario, cases in Florida would more than double from where we are today. In two weeks. In two weeks. Should that happen, on December 22nd, we'd be staring at around 4,300 new COVID-19 cases in Florida. Okay, so that's the worst case. The average projection, yeah, that does see cases going higher, too, by 19%, be around 2,200. But the there is a best-case scenario that actually showed a decline to under 1,200 daily cases, which actually be the lowest level of the year. So, like, the bottom line is this. There's a two-thirds chance based on the Mayo Clinic, that cases do go higher from here, including a chance that they more than double over the next couple of weeks. So you do want to be mindful as uh, of that as you get out and about. We'll see how this Omicron variant otherwise plays out. But, of course, the better news related to Omicron, even if it does turn out to be more contagious, as it appears to be the case, every indication, I mean every last one of them, is that these symptoms have been less severe than Delta, and frankly, any of the other COVID variants. So hopefully that remains the case. Have Natalie in a trending story, then we'll talk to NASA next, right here in the Brian Mudd Show, News Radio 610 WIOD.